This morning is the first in a series of four Sundays with Scripture focused from the Psalms. Each sermon title is a phrase from one of those Psalms. So this morning it is, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him from Psalm 37. Next Sunday it's, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom from Psalm 111. Then I lift up my eyes to the hills from where will my help come from Psalm 121. And finally, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, from Psalm 84. Psalms are worship tools more than teaching tools. So don't expect this series of sermons to offer three points or lessons from each psalm or sets of instructions for living as disciples. Instead, it is likely I will set stories alongside the psalms looking for things that echo the truths and tests of this life. If I can do that in a way that invites you to think to yourself, yes, this is my story too, or if you're thinking of the Psalms as songs, which they are, yes, this is my song too, then we are headed together where I hope we are meant to go. So this morning from Psalm 37, a sermon titled, Be Still Before the Lord and Wait Patiently for Him. Trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord and He will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. That's just a a small collection of phrases from some of the verses in our psalm for today, parts of verses 3, 4, 5, and 7 from Psalm 37. And everything I just quoted seems right and reasonable for those who are on a journey of faith and faithfulness, trust, delight, commit, wait. Those key words are all words upon which good relationships are built. And furthermore, with words like trust, delight, commit, wait. There is a clear invitation for those who are speaking or singing the Psalms to lean in to their faith in God. And then at the same time, on the other side of the ledger, to let go of jealousy and fear and anger at those who seem to get away with wrongdoing, those who don't play fair, to turn our attention away from them, the writer says, and to turn it toward God. Trust, delight, commit, wait. But even if we can let go of our jealousy, our feelings of upset at the unfairness we see around us, even if we learn to trust, to give ourselves to trust, and to enjoy those moments when we feel close to God and connected to God, and even if we understand and agree to the importance of being committed to faith, committed to actions of faithfulness, the last of those four words, wait, is a hard one. Waiting is hard. Waiting is hard when you know what's coming. Waiting is even more difficult when you aren't sure what's coming. Waiting is especially difficult when you have no idea what is coming, much less how long you will be waiting. 
when you don't know whether you're waiting for good news, for bad news, or for no news. Waiting for justice is hard. Waiting for healing is hard. Waiting for things to be made right. Waiting for those who do wrong to no longer prosper is hard. Waiting for resolution, waiting for reconciliation, waiting for a better day. It is all difficult because we are not naturally made for patience. We are, by nature, made for forward movement, for things to be resolved, to get on with life, to exert control, to put things in place, to fix, to create, to make it better. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Really? Wait? Wait patiently? Waiting is hard enough for adults. It may be even harder for children whose sense of time is different than the adult sense of time. But even if it's hard for children, so long as they are old enough or able enough to be verbal, you can talk with them. You can try to explain to them. You can try to reason with them. When you can't talk together, when you can't process together, waiting becomes even more difficult. My son Rainer's dog, Ludo, a Siberian husky, finds it hard to wait for my son to get home. He has no real way of measuring time, except when it gets close to his regular dinner time. And then he lets you know, because I assume his body speaks to him of hunger. And when it's later in the evening than the usual time my son comes home from work, Ludo lets you know because I assume when everyone else is in the house except the one person he wants most to see, it's not something to be ignored. In those moments, he knows he has to wait. He is still waiting, and he does not like it. He is restless whenever he waits. He paces, he checks the door, he barks to go out, and then when you take him outside and he sees that my son is not outside, he wants to come back in, but pretty soon he barks again, shouldn't my human be home by now? Is what I think he's trying to say. One time a few weeks ago, Rainer had to be away all night for work. Usually Ludo sleeps in the basement bedroom with Rainer. We know Ludo is best not left alone downstairs anytime, day or night. He is, as I said, restless when Rainer is not there, and when he's restless, he gets into trouble. Rainer said we could leave him in the garage overnight. I was reluctant to do that. So I hit upon what I thought was a creative and reasonable solution. At bedtime, I would take Ludo downstairs to the basement, and I would sleep in Rainer's bed, keeping company with the dog in the basement overnight. At the appointed time, I took Ludo outside one last time, and then we went downstairs, and I climbed into bed. But Ludo was having none of it. I wasn't Rainer, and this wasn't the routine. He started running around the basement, up the stairs, down the stairs, onto the bed, hitting me with the force of his body as if to propel me out of the bed. 
After a second round of upstairs, downstairs, jumping on the bed and hitting me with his body, I got the message, no sleeping in the basement. We tried the main level of the house instead. I got a blanket and a pillow, turned out the lights, found my place on the couch. In the darkness, the dog walked around and around. The kitchen, the hallway, the dining room, the living room, the hallway, the kitchen. I could hear him moving about. Finally, he came right up to my face. I felt his breath there in the dark. He barked and barked again. It was midnight by then. We went outside. He seemed to think maybe his person was outside. Was he wondering, how long do I have to wait? We came back inside the house. It took a while, but finally we settled down, me on the couch in the living room, him on the floor not far from me. I fell asleep. I assume he did too. Then at about 4.30 or 5 in the morning, I suddenly woke up. The dog was no longer in his spot on the floor. Where had he gone? I was instantly concerned. I got up to look around. I wandered around the main level. I couldn't see him anywhere. He couldn't have just disappeared, could he? And then in the dimness, I saw the shape of him. He was on the mat by the front door. His body pressed up against the door. He looked at me. He didn't get up, but his eyes were open, and he turned his gaze toward me. Still waiting, aren't you? I said. I have no idea how dogs experience waiting. I know this one is anxious in general, so I imagine waiting for him is at least tinged with anxiety. I've heard stories, however, of dogs that wait patiently every day at the end of the driveway for their child owner to come home, and dogs that wait by the door more with anticipation than anxiety, and dogs that are content to wait for who knows what as long as they can do so at the feet of their person. I don't know how it is for this particular dog, what it's like inside his head, but I understand his need to wait by the door, to be as close as possible to the place through which comfort and assurance and safety and familiarity will eventually step. I understand the need to wait by the door in the day and in the night. I understand that some people can help me wait and some can't. Some are a comfort and some are a distraction. And because of that, I am not put out by the idea that although I can wait with the dog, I am not the one he is waiting for. Waiting is hard. My wife, Lois, her illness has involved significant and at times intense periods of waiting over these recent months, waiting for diagnosis, waiting for treatment, waiting to get better. Looking back, I think the most intense period of waiting was waiting through one of those early times when we were waiting for initial answers. It happened over the July 4th holiday weekend. The PET scan 
positron emission tomography scan, the most critical diagnostic test, it seemed to us, in a whole series of tests over a several-week period when we were still in the, this must be cancer, but if it is, where in the devil is it hiding stage, was done on a Friday morning. And the scan we were promised would be read by that afternoon. So we waited for the call, and we waited And then around 5 p.m. on Friday evening, we found out that not only had it not been read, but that the message that was supposed to go along with the scan, marking it urgent, hadn't even been passed along. Can someone do something, we asked. Can someone please tell us what it says? Sorry, was the answer. It's now Friday evening, and it's a holiday weekend, so no one will read that test until next Tuesday, what with Monday being the 4th of July. Like I said, at that point, they were still searching for cancer. A four-day wait seemed impossibly agonizing. Sorry, there's nothing that can be done. People are off for the holiday weekend. It's not an acceptable, much less compassionate answer in a time like that but we were powerless to do anything about it. So we settled in to wait. Except we were anything but settled. We were anxious, frustrated, upset, uncertain, scared. But then the doctor, the oncologist, did something that doesn't happen every day. On Saturday morning, he drove from Fort Wayne to Warsaw. He went to the lab. He found someone to read the scan, even though the radiologist who normally reads that kind of scan wasn't there. And then he called us and told us what he thought he could safely and accurately, even if not precisely, tell us. It was a step that cleared the way for the next step, the consultations in Cleveland a couple days later. Waiting is hard, and we need help. Waiting is hard, and we need help, and we need some way to trust. Because waiting with trust is even more difficult. Waiting with trust when you do not know what the outcome will be is maybe the most difficult. But we have to understand the importance of trust in this stew of waiting. When we are waiting, do we trust that an answer will come, that the person we think we need will come, that care will come, that justice will come, that healing will come? Do we trust that even though hours and perhaps days and weeks and months and even years drag on, that we have not been abandoned, that we have not been abandoned, even when whoever or whatever we expected to show up did not show up or did not come to pass. And so for all that time, there was nothing for us to do except lay by the mat, on the mat by the door or wait by the phone. But you know, waiting needs a foundation. It needs something like trust underneath it. 
trust, patience, hope. Otherwise, waiting can lead us nowhere but into despair and anger and disappointment. And the psalmist declares that waiting in trust is the path we have to take. Don't fret, he says. Don't be fearful. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Be patient. Be still. Wait. Because if you wait, the scripture teaches, God will come. If you wait, God will come. Will come through the door against which you have laid your worried body in the darkness of the early morning hours. Will come past the taunts and the unjust actions of the wicked. Will come to you in the form of a person who takes the extra step to try to get you an answer. Will come to you to give you a place of rest, a place of recovery, a land of healing, a home, a place to rest your weary head, a circle of support, of trust, an affirmation, a vindication. Be patient, be still, wait, because if you wait, God will come. That's the psalmist speaking. The promise of Scripture. But here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Are you still on the mat by the door, curled up with anxiety, eyes cautiously open in the dark? Are you still wound up with worry as you sit by the phone? Do you believe that if you wait in trust, justice will come? Do you believe that if you wait in trust, healing will come? Do you believe that restoration will come? That a balancing out of what is right and fair will come? That love will come? It's hard. Faith is hard. I think there are plenty of times when all we can do is wait. And when that's true, I'd like to do my waiting with more trust. I'd like to be less anxious and more trusting. I'd like to do a better job of remembering all the times that the door opened and hope came over the threshold. To remember all the times that the door opened and healing came over the threshold. Because it has happened. Hope has come. Healing has come. Remember? Now, along with affirming that, affirming that in the past we have waited and God has come, here's something else we can offer each other in this present moment. Maybe a bit of good news. We can wait with each other. We can wait with each other for God to come to us. We can wait together for hope to come to us. We can wait for the morning light to come to us. Sometimes it will be you on the couch and me on the floor, or me on the couch and you on the floor, or you by the door and me walking around in the dark trying to make sure you're still there. We can stay with each other through the night. We can remind each other that we are not abandoned 
and that the new day, the new light will come. We can wait together for hope to come to us, stay with each other as we wait by the phone, sit with each other as we wait for new strength. We can remind each other that we are not abandoned, that there are others in our lives who care, and that in that caring is the spirit and presence of God. We wait. We try to wait and trust. We try to wait with patience. But still we wait. May God help us in our waiting. May God come to us with comfort. Amen.